Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity, and this season we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. For this special Saturday edition of Why Not Both, we got to hang out with Morgan Kibbe, aka White Sea. You might know her for her production work or her scoring work on multiple shows as well as films. She most notably just worked with Lady Gaga. I hope you enjoy our interview. So I will welcome you to the podcast now. <laughs> Thank you. Happy welcome. to be here. <laughs> so you are Morgan. I am Pam. This is Why Not Both. Uh, the first question that I often ask is a two-parter, and it is, what do you do? And is there a better question, in fact, than what do you do? <laughs> ha-ha. Ha-ha. Um, <laughs> yes, ha-ha. I uh, am a, a musician, first and foremost, um, but I work in different parts of the music industry. So I started off in a band called M83, um, writing and singing, playing live. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to write for other people just as a writer, uh, lyricist, top line, doing additional production as well, depending on the projects, and um, mm-hmm. have landed now as a composer for film and television. Oh, wow. That is a wide range. Kind of, yes, kind of do, kind of kind of do all of those all of those things I mean I I kind of that was the progression of things but I definitely do a little bit of all three all the time but Mm. composition is my main my main focus now um and to your second question uh you know I think that I think that that's it's a loaded question because I think there are some people who have the philosophy that you aren't what you do, but I'm an artist, so I very much am what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a giant part of my life, and uh, it defines big swaths of my personality and who I am and how I operate in the world. And uh, it's the thing that drives me. Being creative is what drives me. So I would say that asking what I do is actually a very important question. But that's for me specifically. Yes. So I can't speak for other people. But for me, <laughs> um, for me, I actually don't think that there is a better question. I think that's a great question. <laughs> hey! So when you were saying that being an artist has informed your identity a lot, I was curious, like, what changed between, say, being on tour with M83 and writing for them versus then writing for other people versus writing for TV? Because I would assume that those would kind of tap into different parts of your identity. You know, uh, not really, actually, because all three are centered around collaboration, first and foremost. Mm. And also, frankly, the, the kernel of the project are not actually generated by me. Um, you know, so for example, with M83, it really was Anthony's project. So though we were mm-hmm. collaborating on songs and writing together, it was really 
it's his band, right? So it's his vision for what those albums that I was involved with uh, would end up being. I was just there to help facilitate and expand that vision. Mm. Um, And the same thing goes for writing for other people. You know, when you're writing on someone's album, generally speaking, they have an idea of what the themes are for their records, uh, whether it's lyrical or textures in terms of production. Mm -hmm. So once again, that's feeding into somebody else's um, core vision. And then, uh, and then composition is kind of the ultimate example of that. You know, I'm not the boss. I mean, I'm the boss of my department, yes, but I'm not the boss of the project. I'm not the driver of the project. Mm. I'm coming in after something's been shot and I'm collaborating with, you know, most of the times the showrunner or the director to kind of craft the music that helps, um, that helps bring the vision of that project life. So, so um, yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I neglected to say earlier, but, you know, I did have a solo project for, for a while. I mean, I still do, I still work on it. Um, uh, not as much, uh, although I've kind of started to dive back into it a little bit now, but, um, I, I have, I'm fond of saying that like what made me an amazing collaborator and composer is the thing that made me a shitty artist, which is, <laughs> um, that I'm really, really good at bringing my own voice to other people's projects. But when it comes down to me, just expressing my voice on its own, I have been a late bloomer in terms of figuring that out. That's um, fascinating. Yeah. So I feel, and I own that. And I also, um, I think that you know, a career, um, your expression, your identity and your work is, it is a never ending project. So to think that you have to have that voice figured out in your twenties is absolute bullshit. Um, and unfortunately I fell prey to thinking that that was the case. And I used to beat mm. myself up for it as if I was somehow, um, word like lacking, I suppose, or right. that I maybe right. wasn't supposed to be an artist. And the fact of the matter is, is that wasn't necessarily true. I just needed to take the time to develop my skills to be able to really understand myself more and express myself well, the way that a, I actually wanted to. Yeah, because like there's that whole narrative of like, you know, like the wonderkind or the ingenue or like whatever you want to call it in an obscure um, European language. Um, but it's like that whole thing of you have to be like initially good right out the gate as like a teenager or in your early 20s and be like, here's my voice. I found it. And oh I like God. it. And <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just so fucking ridiculous. Pardon my French. Um, I just think that like the, <laughs> I swear a lot. I apologize. I, I too am, uh, am randomly speaking in French. So you're all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I just think that I, I, I mean, I, I, I think it's been a journey that I've been on uh, from the beginning of my career. It, uh, on a, on a, on a, I hate to use the word, but a more, uh, psychological, spiritual level, it mm-hmm. has been to, to, to really tap into the understanding that your past is never going to look like anybody else's. Right. And so if things take a little bit more time, that is a okay. Um, if you really yes. love what you do and you're passionate about it and you really work on it, um, every day, um, then it's going to evolve and change over time. And the fact of the matter is things do get better with time. Generally speaking, you get better at your craft, um, your skills and your techniques develop as an engineer, as a producer. Um, I mean, the things that I've learned even in the last year, uh, are, you know, that growth is kind of exponential. Um, 
And while I completely, deeply respect people that come out of the gate and have incredible vision, I mean, I wish that had happened to me. I just wasn't one of those lucky ones. Um, I don't, I don't think that that's generally speaking the case for most artists. And I think that we, we put a premium on youth and on uh, the novelty of young vision when uh, there's so much incredible work that's being done, particularly by women who suffer, I think, a lot more uh, in terms of this, in the context of this conversation of age. Um, mm. There's just so much incredible work that comes out of you as you get older. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope I'm articulating that well. You are. You totally are. And I was thinking about when you were talking, I was thinking about also how uh, the narrative of being a collaborator is sometimes undervalued. Like it sounds like you really are like a master in bringing other people's visions to light in a way that maybe they might not have, which I think. Like, that's kind of like an unsung hero role. <laughs> like, oh, totally. I mean, look, it's not as glamorous, but to be honest with you, like, I'm 100% fine with that. You know, I, I just want to be creative and I want to do immaculate, timeless work, whatever that looks like under whatever context that falls in. Right. Because I, I feel like, do you have anyone that does that for your work? Like, do you have a collaborator that kind of helps you bring your stuff to life? Yeah, I mean, I've started to find people, especially over the last two years, it's taking me time, but I, I definitely have uh, a couple of people that I lean on for perspective or for um, uh, musical collaboration. Um, yeah, and that, and that takes time because, frankly, it's a matter of, of uh, taste as well, like your taste mm -hmm. aligning. Um, you know, like, for example, I've worked with amazing mixers my entire career I've been very lucky but it's really only in the last year that I finally found somebody that I'm like oh my god please never leave me mix everything that I do <laughs> um, so funny I've, I've so, found that person for some of my pop stuff that I'm just like oh, mix every pop song I need yeah <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's a question of taste I mean it takes it, it and also by the way I probably haven't found that person before now because I probably didn't really know exactly what I was trying to accomplish mm. before. So now that that is more solidified within myself, it makes it easier for me to identify people that I know are good collaborators, good collaborators for my projects. And I think that you're right, that a lot of that, it takes time. And I think that sometimes we beat ourselves up for then some of the things that we end up having to do in the meantime. <laughs> like especially yeah. artists in their 20s where you're like oh I also had to work other jobs I think that a lot of people sometimes feel shame for that in the music industry because you're like well I guess if I were really good I wouldn't have to be doing this but I think a lot of people simply like if you pull back the curtain like all of us have worked really weird jobs oh my god yeah geez I mean like at the beginning of my career before I was doing music full-time I was an art restoration technician. Um, Whoa, that's, that's actually, oh, yeah. what, like, super, because I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> super cool. Very boring. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I got to work on some really amazing things, um, just historically speaking, uh, but definitely not, not necessarily the career for me, <laughs> but I have gotcha. deep, deep respect for it. It's pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing, but yeah, I mean, like we've all, we've all worked odd jobs. Uh, before being able to make music, you know, our full-time um, endeavor in life. Right. Um, but I do have to say I've been pretty lucky. I mean, I joined Omini 3 in, gosh, 
when I was 23. Oh, wow. So I didn't really work too many odd jobs in my lifetime. I've worked mainly in music from my early 20s onward. So gotcha. I had I had like one one bout of being somebody's personal assistant somewhere in there. <laughs> I like that you refer to it as a bout, like you accidentally came down with being a personal assistant, and then you become. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a good employee. I'm not, I, I don't I don't I don't do well with having a boss. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, um, that that doesn't mean that I like being a boss either. By the way, I just like working by myself. You know, <laughs> like That's so funny. Myself. I love that it seems like people kind of like toss you something and you're like, ah, I will take these raw materials and I will make them better, but in my own yeah. cave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The cave. That's it. The, the, the pain cave is what we like to call it. The I think. pain cave. <laughs> yeah, the pain cave. The pain cave of gorgeous creativity, I suppose. Oh my goodness. But I, I mean, I call mine, I just call it the music cave, though other things do get done in the music cave. Um, I was like, there's definitely fairy lights, there's candles, there's a lot of coffee involved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes, I empathize. Yeah, I mean, especially when I switched over to composition, like, I, I don't think I really knew what it was to work hard before I became a composer. Um, what? Can you speak to that? Because I think a lot of people don't get what it means to do that for a TV and film. So, yeah, so... Um, I do original score. So it's not songs. That's music placement. So that's kind of like, oh, there's a Beach Boy song during this part of the movie. We love it. Let's place that song. So that's song placement. Um, I do the original score. So traditionally, it's usually been orchestral scores in the past. So, you know, you're John Williams of the world. Um, and it has somewhat changed. Uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of as a good reference, like to think of the uh, soundtrack to the social network kind of being um, mm. one of the moments where uh, film was really opened up to musicians who weren't just doing orchestral work. Right. Um, not, right, not, right. The, not that that was like oh, the only thing uh, that was happening, but I think it was the first time it was truly taken really seriously because Trent and Atticus, you know, they won uh, the Oscar for the sport. Right. Uh, and the so much of that was such interesting. I mean, much like the textures of their work for Nine Inch Nails, so much of it was like interesting sound design and abstract textures and things like that, as opposed to, like you said, exactly. like, like Hans Zimmer and now here's 70 violins. Exactly. Not that there's anything exactly. wrong with 70 violins, but like. <laughs> no, and everything yeah. has its time and place and every project, you know, uh, requires different things. Um, but what's, what's great is that the, the score world has opened up to people such as myself since then in a, in a way that I don't think it was as open before, or at least that's my experience of it. Um, I may be wrong in that assessment, but, um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I basically write, you know, music for movies and TV, the score that you hear when you're watching something. Mm-hmm. And what's the process like do, you know, because I know that for film and TV, sometimes you get like a full edit of something. Sometimes you get just like daily shots of things. Like what does your workflow look like for that? Um, well, it's usually pretty standard to start working um, as they're editing mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, I, I, I prefer not to because then projects get like drawn out over months and months and months. I like to come on when there's a locked cut especially mm -hmm. for, for mm -hmm. film. 
Um, and so, yeah, so I'll get the locked cut and then you'll spot the movie with, uh, with the director and producers. So you'll sit and watch it together and you'll discuss where you want to have music. And a lot of times there will be a uh, temp that's placed by the editor. So temporary music tracks that they've pulled mm-hmm. from, you know, libraries of music. Um, that kind of give you an idea for texture and uh, mood and you'll discuss it as you watch the film with the team and then you'll sit down and you'll get to work <laughs> and not take any breaks for the next six months as it normally goes. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like the basic, the basic structure is uh, just coming on when things are locked and then, you know, right. deciding where things need to be and taking it from there. And how does that feel different than, say, when you were working with, like, M83? Like, what was the writing process there? Well, I mean, writing a song is very different than writing a cue, you know. Um, or at least for me it is. Uh, there there are some kind of tangential moments, I suppose. But, um, you know, a song, just to put it into perspective, like, if I'm just doing lyric, you know, I can write a lyric if I'm feeling on fire uh, or not, if the lyric's shitty, um, in 15 <laughs> minutes, you know what I mean? So like the right. lyric for Midnight City came out of me really quickly. I was done with it in about 20 minutes yep. and was in my PJs, had a bottle of wine, and that was that. Um, <laughs> You're like, ta And then, yeah, so, so, so sometimes things come really quickly. Um, there's, and, but that doesn't mean that the song was done in 15 minutes. It just means that that portion of it was written. Yes. Um, and, you know, you'll have, you'll have months when you're working on an album to reshape songs, rethink the arrangements, you know, work on the production, et cetera, record things. When you're working in film and TV, um, you know, you really, you're always on a different kind of schedule. I mean, depending on the project, like for example, I'm working on a show right now where I'm delivering hour long episodes uh, once a week, which oh is my goodness. intense. That's yeah. Really and then it's intense. a lot of music. Yeah. And, um, and I really care about the project. It's such an amazing uh, TV show. And mm-hmm. the music is also, you know, sometimes you'll be on, on projects where the music needs to really stay out of the way and is more underscore, mm-hmm. um, especially with documentary. Like I find a lot of times, like, um, you know, you're really, you're really kind of like sitting underneath of what's happening, especially since there's a lot of like interview footage or dialogue right, or um, right, voiceover. Right. But with film, um, there's and TV there's there can be opportunities to really get bold and super creative um, and uh, yeah so this happens to be one of those projects I'm just so thrilled because I'm really getting to do some very experimental and interesting things with the music oh, but awesome. the delivery schedule is just like it's you know it's intense it's really that's really kind intense. of bonkers to be writing like an entire hour of music weekly yeah yeah and it's great <laughs> It's not, it's not a full 60 minutes of music, but you know, you're looking at 30 minutes of music per episode, probably. I was going to um, say like, do they, do they end up like reusing other cues that you've done? Or is it original every single time? Like it's, I mean, it's original every single time. There are, there are themes and textures that get reimagined or music mm-hmm. edited uh, mm-hmm. to maybe re- uh, reoccur in future episodes, but it's never the same piece of music that's used. If that right. Makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Because I'm thinking of, you know, at the very least, like, I liked what you were talking about of kind of like bringing other people's visions to life. Because at the very least, you have like, that's one thing that like, I personally have liked about doing scoring work is that you have all the emotions there. You're just like, cool, I just need to make what those emotions sound like. 
<laughs> like, yeah, and also, and and it really makes you realize too that music can really make or break a project. Like I really yes. firmly believe that. Um, you know, if you take a scene in the wrong direction, mood wise or textually, um, you know, it can really affect the way that the film is digested or the TV yes. show is digested um, by the audience. Lighting. Mm-hmm. Where like all of a sudden, if you have bad lighting on someone, they have like really weird shadows on their face. They look like ominous and haggard and tired and weird. And then like you move the light by like a foot and you're like, oh, this person looks brilliant and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's what's so fascinating about film, you know, the creative medium of, of film and TV is that every job is so important. You know, it's not just the acting. It's not just the editing. It's not just the music. It's not just the directing, et cetera, the DP, et cetera. It's like every single little portion of creativity that's brought to a project um, or this particular medium, uh, you know, each person has such a stamp on what the collective experience is when you watch the film at the end of, at the end of it. So, yes, yes. And I think like, you're right. Like it's like one little thing can kind of like make it or break it. Cause then it can, it kind of like, like ruins the spell. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just can, it can totally take you in a different direction. Um, and I've been guilty of that too, where I'll be drafting something and, you know, I'll write, I'll, I will maybe bring in a theme that I've written that maybe worked in another place. And, you know, I might incorrectly think that it'll work in the scene that I'm working on. And all of a sudden it turns it into like, Cheeseville, you know what I mean. So it's like you have to be like, you have to be very, very careful, very, very careful, and like take take mood and intent, I think, very seriously, and be very intentional about yes. what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So definitely, definitely, that's actually that's so funny that you said that because I think we've all experienced that in watching like a movie or film where all of a sudden, like, kind of like one of the characters, like light motifs, comes up again, and you're like, oh, this again. Yeah, like, oh, totally. couldn't, <laughs> couldn't totally. come up with a different one. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And it is funny too because it's like you know the the there have there have been moments in the past where you know you think you've written something absolutely brilliant and maybe the director doesn't agree with you and you know you have to write something ultimately that makes them happy you're not the mm -hmm. one you know I, I let me put it this way I pick and choose my moments to have to wage little skirmishes right <laughs> creative <laughs> skirmishes um and I don't normally fight back unless I really really disagree but right. you know as a composer you always have to keep in mind that it's not about what you want it's about what your director wants so. Exactly. Exactly. And I was thinking, I was like, gosh, that's such a different mode of working, even though it is bringing someone's vision to light versus writing in a band and touring with them. And especially I was thinking about the difference in lifestyle of being on tour versus being a composer. Like that's a, that's a big gear shift. Oh my God. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like total, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. It's so, 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 so different. And by the way, I love both like both have been so incredible um mm -hmm. uh, being on the road is is there's something incredibly youthful and naive about waking up somewhere new every day and um also very monotonous and you know very exhausting mm -hmm. but also pretty pretty amazing um to get up and play shows and and connect with people that way it's it's um there's i i do miss that i have to say a little bit um because i spend 
16, you know, when I'm juggling projects, because I, I mean, I'm finally entering a point in my career where my budgets are starting to get a little bit healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for the last five years, I switched careers when I was 30, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, lots of people who are established as composers, you know, come straight out of college at 22 and, you know, and hustle, hustle, hustle. And mm-hmm. I missed those years, you know, so I was kind of playing catch up. And as a result, I made a decision to say yes to everything. Like it was a right. season in right, my right, career right. of saying yes. There was no room to say no right. um, for many different reasons. I needed to build my resume so people could trust me. I needed to, frankly, just get better and get my get my feet wet and dive right. in and get, get dirty and figure things out. Um, yeah, so uh, I haven't really had the opportunity to have a team. Um, that's starting to change now for me, which is awesome. But, you know, in the thick of things, when I was doing two, three projects at a time, I was working 16, 17 hours a day, waking oh up, God. you know, 5 a.m., going to bed at midnight, you know, really trying to to make sure that I'm staying on top of deliverables, deadlines, mm-hmm. drafts. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't afford to have an assistant to help me with all the minutia. And I'm definitely not the kind of composer that feels comfortable handing off creative work to other people. Like Uh I have to do Uh all of that. But there's, you know, there's a big, big portion of what I do that's comprised of um, technical minutia, you know, so prepping stems, getting things ready for your orchestrator, Right, uh, recording, like all that kind of stuff, um, and I didn't have any help with that, um, which was pretty, pretty brutal. And it's only in the last six months, I'd say, that I felt like I was finally in a place where I could start saying no to things, and um, found an amazing uh, young young woman to help me um, on the assistant side. She's just wonderful, and she's you know she's coming up, and she's very young and, and very good at what she does, and. So yeah, so I've slowly started to build my team a little bit. I have an amazing music editor now that I trust with everything Yay. and, you know, mixer and yeah, so, so it, it comes together a little bit, sure. Well, and exactly like you said, I think that um, coming from like a creative standpoint, like I'm like, oh, I totally get what you're saying. But for listeners who like don't know what like stemming out a song is, it's basically taking every track and having to make like a separate file <laughs> for every <laughs> every sound that's on there. So it's literally like the bane of every musician's existence where you're like, well, I just wrote a 65 track song. Now I have to export it. 65 you gotta stem it. times. Yeah. You gotta <laughs> mu- mu- multiply that by 15 cues per episode. You know what I mean? Like it gets, it gets, it gets really intense. I really had no idea. Um, I was very naive um, and, and I'm glad that I was because I, I don't, if I had known how hard it was going to be, mm-hmm. I, I might've given me, it might've given me pause and not, not in a, not in a, I don't think it would have deterred me, but I think it would have mm-hmm. given me pause. It's, um, mm-hmm. I've sacrificed a lot. Um, but then again, I'm also a workaholic, so that probably has something to do with it. <laughs> well, and I'm glad that you found people that you can trust on your team now that it's like, when you said, you know, I was in a period of saying yes. I was like, no, that makes total sense because one, you want to get a variety of experience. Two, you want to pick up opportunities. And three, it sounds like if someone had told you all of this, you would have been like, oh, okay. But like, it's different than when you're doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, that's, and that's kind of been like, frankly, my whole experience as a musician. You know, I, I was lucky enough to study classical piano as uh, a child and a young adult. And then I took up the cello when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I didn't go to school for music. Um, so, you know, those were all kind of private 
lessons once a week when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I've learned everything just through doing it, mm. and, which can be very frustrating sometimes. <laughs> you know, I think, I think one of, one of my biggest regrets in life is, or, or not regrets, one of my biggest desires that has never quite manifested was having a mentor. Um, I never had a mentor and I feel like, um, I've had to really just be on my own figuring things out, which by the way, it's fine. And I've made it work. And it's been, I'm, I'm very lucky. I think my work ethic is part of the reason why I've been able to transition and be successful in the various careers that I've decided to pursue. Right. Um, but there is something to be said for feeling like somebody that's better, wiser, smarter than you has your back. And I have not right. really ever had that. Um, I, I, I've had it on the business side of the music industry. So my old publisher, um, uh, Carrie Ann Marshall was very much a mentor for me. Hmm. Um, she was one of the, one of the uh, partners uh, and owners of songs, music, uh, publishing. And mm-hmm. I'm so forever grateful to her just because of her belief in me and her, um, I don't know, dedication to making sure that we remain colleagues and friends, even after not working together. Like she's just been an amazing cheerleader and, and, oh, and guide. That's so um, cool. But on the creative side, yeah, no, I feel very lucky. I have, I have, you know, one or two women like her in my life, which I'm extremely grateful for. Um, but on the creative side, I haven't really ever had that. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Well, and it's sometimes hard to like, I mean, in some ways, it sounds like you have charted your own course, but it's sometimes hard to chart your course if you don't see people that are even on kind of similar courses. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anything, I'm definitely a wild card, which, <laughs> which, which I like. Yeah. I mean, I like to remind like younger creatives a lot, like, please, 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 the earlier you can in your career, just remember and mantra yourself into believing and knowing (laughs) that your career is not going to look like anybody else's. And if you're doing it right, it will never look like anybody else's like ever. And it shouldn't, because that means that you're not doing what's best for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if things happen a little bit later than maybe they do for your friends that graduated at the same time as you or what have you, like, that's okay. Just keep your head down and and really develop your voice and your point of view. Because that's really the thing that ultimately gets you hired. I was going to say, it's always like music is so nonlinear. And then what you're saying about developing your own voice, it was funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who does biochem engineering Um, and he just finished his postdoc and I was saying something about how, you know, it was really great to be hearing about all of these music writers and composers and everyone who are now in like, particularly female, um, that are in like our thirties and our forties and our fifties. And he was saying in biochem engineering, if you publish something before your late thirties, people kind of side eye you. They're like, why are you telling us about this? Like, you're not old enough to know about this. We were talking about kind of like how it's almost like reverse ageism, (laughs) where in some fields, if you're not, you know, if you don't have kind of the experience, people don't want to hear from you. Whereas in music, you're almost expected to not have experience. But then conversely, I liked what you were saying about how, you you know, like you took private lessons, but you learned by doing. And that I think potentially, I don't know if this is accurate, but like it might have given you an interesting viewpoint because you didn't have to like unlearn anything. It's like you're just discovering. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I I think about this a lot and I don't have an answer, but you know, my I trust my instincts and I think I'm lucky enough to have really good instincts. Um, so 
nothing is taboo or not right in my world and in my purview when I'm working. Um, that being said, education is like key and paramount. And I do wish that I had, for example, like better theory. Like I wish my theory was better. I wish that I had orchestration skills that were not entry level orchestra. You know what I mean? Like there, there are things that, that I, I feel sometimes like I'm playing catch up, but at the same time, you know, I've spoken to some friends of mine who do come from that very strict and very accomplished um, um, uh, college uh, education. And, and, you know, and they've even said to me like, yes, I get what you're saying in terms of that insecurity feeling like maybe that's not um, uh, something that you're good at, but at the same time, you're going to try things that we would never try. And it's going to give you a result that's very unexpected and beautiful so you know but by the way let's be honest sometimes that plays out great and sometimes you fall flat on your face you know what I mean so it's 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 very much it's very much very much a give and take you know there's there's a an expansive sense of possibility with with the not knowing and there's also a real a real sense of um of of I don't know foundation uh, that you can pull from to spark ideas that maybe I don't have access to because I wasn't formally educated. You know, well, I think in some ways, like uh, spectacular failure is sometimes incredibly informative. Like I occasionally like it when I'm writing something and I was like, "Wow, that did not work!" Like on almost like a tragic level. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then I can learn from what I did because, like, sometimes I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to go out on this limb," and I was like that limb broke and I've now rolled down a hill. Um, like, <laughs> right. No, completely. I mean, I, I, it's, it's funny cause I know, I know people talk about like failure being such an important part of growing. And I mean, I cannot echo that enough. I think that being really crap at something for a bit is imperative because yes. it teaches you what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, what you need to improve. Um, but I also think that it's remembering that you're always going to fail. Like there's never going to be a moment where all of a sudden everything you do is amazing. It's just not physically possible. And, um, you know, one thing I really despise about our culture now is that we write off people so quickly, creatively, if it doesn't resonate with us and we Mm -hmm. don't give them a second chance, you know, I've written some real crap music um, (laughs) in in the past. My, you know, and, and it's also that, that balance too of like, I know that when I'm listening to something, I have great taste, but I don't always have great taste when I'm writing my own stuff. Mm. And I, I am always on this journey to try to bridge that gap so that my taste as a consumer is mirrored in my taste as a creator. As a creator. It's so hard to see one's work objectively, though. And I think like sometimes I respect people who I, who's like artistry that, you know, like that I mainly enjoy. I sometimes respect it when they have a song or two where I'm like, wow, I am, I am not on that train, but I respect that you made it. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, look, like they're very, there are like a couple artists that it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how much I dislike it. I will always follow them to the ends of the earth. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, perfect example, like Joni Mitchell is one of those artists for me. Do I like her Mingus album? You know, maybe not so much. Um, But the fact that she did it is incredible. She's expressing herself. She's exploring, you know, um, same thing with, I mean, just as another example, it's like Radiohead, like there may yep. be songs here and there that don't resonate with me, 
but I will always be on that journey with them because I think that the intention is so, it's so pure in the sense of them trying to create great art and trying to push themselves. And I have deep, deep, deep respect for people that think like that, because frankly, it's actually not as common as we would like to believe. Yes. Yes. And I think respecting kind of taking like the long view of things (laughs) where there might be kind Mm -hmm. of bumps along the road where you're like, well, that didn't resonate with me, but I respect that you're expressing yourself in this way. And maybe that's something that's not my jam. Um, but for the most part, you are my jam and I see what you're doing and that makes me happy. So I got the next. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, and it's fascinating that you help other people bring that to life. Cause when you said like, you want your taste to kind of align with what you're creating, it sounds almost like from what you said, it's easier to do that. I might be wrong, but it might be easier to do that on other people's work. Oh my God. Of course. And that's why, (laughs) that's why I have such a deep respect for artists that have clear access to their voice Mm. Um, because that is such um, takes a lot of balls to like really commit to what comes out of you naturally and hone that despite what other people might think of it Mm. Um, and uh, it is very easy to do it for other people because when I'm working with somebody that has a clear vision I can plug myself into that galaxy and kind of understand like what that looks like. What are the colors? What does it, oh. what does it feel like? You know? Um, and I really love doing that. It's, it's, uh, it's a real joy. Somebody flesh out their intense. Well, and that's intention. such like, like hearing that as, as an artist, like, it always makes me feel so cared for when I'm working with someone that really truly listens to what I'm doing and also is able to enhance it because they understand it. Like that feels so good. Like when I'm working with like another producer or things like that, when I'm like, Oh, you got it. You got the message and you're making the message better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's trust too. I mean, it takes time. I've worked with so many people over the years and you know what? It doesn't always click and that's okay too. And that's all right. Like that, you know, I think that I respect that a lot too. And when you said that now you have a team that like you trust, I'm like, it takes a long time to build that trust and to also like develop, you know, it sounds like you've taken a lot of time to develop your listening ears essentially where you're like, Oh no, I'm going to be open to the message. And then I'm going to help you make it even better and clearer to others. I'm like, cause that's, that's a huge skill. Like working with a few different producers, I've definitely been like, Oh, I see kind of where you're going with that, but that wasn't like, that wasn't where that song was going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and sometimes somebody can recommend or suggest something and it's something you never thought of that grows on you. And you might think yes. initially that it's not right. And then you kind of come around to it. I mean, that's the joy of collaboration is you got options. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're presented with options and then it's ultimately up to the artist to make the decision about what direction you're going to be taking the song or the record. I do always say that like when in doubt, like track something because the worst that could happen is you don't use it. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever done that, like going through your drafts where you listen to like various parts of it and you're like, wow, I have really no idea what I was doing there, but like, good job me. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you can't, you can't choke the idea before it's even born. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you just got to let it flow. And I think that part of one of, well, for me, I won't speak for anybody else, but one of my biggest challenges as an artist 
historically in my past has been to judge the idea before I even let it happen. Oh, yeah, that's a tricky one. Like, how do you turn off that like voice that starts almost like meta critiquing what you're doing? I think you get older. Number one, age has been the biggest gift for that for me. Mm -hmm. Um, The confidence that comes with doing what I've been doing for almost, oh my God, almost a decade and a half. No, 16, 17 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, when you're going through that process over and over and over again, you start to understand its inner workings and you're, you know, you're able to start to, um, see the crutches, see the pitfalls, see the parts of yourself that maybe don't need to be given voice at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's a fear, there's a, for me personally, there's been an, a, a, a very new um, access to, to fearlessness, I think, mm-hmm. of just like, I don't care what it is anymore. I just want it to resonate emotionally for me. So mm. even though, even though there are definitely production things that have developed that I I'm understanding my sound as an artist more clearly now, um, I, I, I kind of don't really care how it comes together. I just want it to emotionally impact me the way, um, that I intended when I started to write it. And if it doesn't do that, then I know I'm not on the right track. Got it. And that, that I think is a good kind of guidepost of like, does this make me feel, and it's almost like you were describing with scoring where it's like tapping into the emotion that you're being presented. And it's either like, did I, did I nail that or did I not? It's not getting all tangled up and like, Oh, well, you know, do I have the right plug-in chain on this? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because all of all of that stuff is solvable. I mean, and granted, like it depends on how you work. Like I know for me, effects can sometimes be a huge part of how the emotion is created in a song, you Mm -hmm. know, but more often than not, or I should say lately, I've actually been going back to Bare Basics where I'm writing songs at the piano, which mm-hmm. I didn't do for over a decade. I was like oh, wow. allergic to my piano. Yeah, I just <gasps> hated doing it. It just felt so corny to me. I was like, I don't want to make this kind of music. It's not where my head is at. Um, and then um, and then something just clicked where I was like, oh yeah, I have to get back to songwriting. I need to stop thinking about production first and get back to songwriting because uh-huh. that's really what's the most important part of this process for me right now. That's so interesting because yeah, like, I mean, they're both kind of like, they're both integral because a song is going to sound completely different if it's just like an acoustic piano song versus a fully produced one, obviously she says as being captain obvious. Um, but mm-hmm. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like sometimes I'll listen to things and even if they have like really excellent production work, like I'll appreciate kind of like, it's almost like having a really nice bunch of Christmas tree ornaments, but it's like, if you don't have a tree to put them on, I'm yeah. Jewish. So I don't know if this analogy holds. <laughs> <laughs> I like like I'm I'm an expired Jew I'm not practicing but like certainly <laughs> certainly was going I'm that worst, way <laughs> I'm like the worst Jew ever I get a Christmas tree every year it brings me such joy I'm like <gasps> Jews for Christmas all the way over here <laughs> that is so funny when I was a little kid I went to a Christmas party like kind of not understanding the concept I was really really little and they had all the decorations so I just like draped myself in tinsel because I was like oh sweet yeah gal I love it. it. (laughs) And it was like, no, no small child. (laughs) I love it. Apparently I am the Christmas tree. Um, (laughs) But But I think you're right. 
I think yeah. you're totally right, though. I think that's a, a good analogy. I mean, I think that if, but then again, it's also, you know, it's so tricky, though, because I, I hear myself saying that and I'm like, well, but that's not always true because you can listen to a, a, a record from Tangerine Dream and, right. and, and go like, okay, well, that's not traditional songwriting and yet it's incredibly emotional and absolutely fucking fantastic and the production is the song you know so it's like it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish I suppose is well, maybe, maybe more maybe the their structure isn't like a tree maybe there's is like a topiary or like a shrubbery yeah <laughs> <laughs> like they have a Hanukkah bush <laughs> exactly exactly a solstice tree, a solstice tree. exactly yeah. Like getting really obscure in my head. I'm like, they have a sukkah. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I do agree with you when I listen to, or like, uh, like ambient music, especially, like follows a completely different structure, but it's not structure less. Like that's what no, I think. no, no. But I think, but I think the way that your songwriting though is very different. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's not, it's not even comparable to you know, listening to a, a Bob Dylan track or whatever, you know? Right. Um, right. And then, you know, what's so amazing about modern music too, is that there are definitely songs that without, even if they're well-written songs, if it didn't have the specific production that was on it, would it have had the impact that mm. it did? You know, like there are a lot of experimental, I, 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 I mean, I'm searching my head for an example and maybe this is a shitty example. So I apologize to your listeners, but like, <laughs> I think about, I think about James Blake, you know, when I think about that huge synth swell in his first single, what was that song called? Like the limit to your love one or different one? No, I think it was a different one. I was on the same album, but, um, Oh yeah, the one that goes Yeah. So when you hear that big synth swell, you there's nobody on the face of the planet that could convince me that if that wasn't there, it it would have the same impact. And by the way, that's a fucking brilliantly written song. Yes. That one element takes it to such a heightened place for me emotionally. And this is my own experience of the song. That, you know it's a perfect illustration for me of what we're talking about where the songwriting is important, but Hey, sometimes the production can really elevate and change the way that you digest what you're listening to. Exactly. Exactly. Like I'm even thinking about, you know, like I was thinking of some of Billie Eilish's songs where Phineas and her production work on it is so brilliant. And the songs themselves are so tightly written, but what makes them sonically interesting other than the fact that they're good songs is the production work itself. Like that's what makes you kind of pay attention and be like, what's that? It's almost like giving you kind of like little bits of ear candy to lure you in and then they're like, surprise. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) No, no, I completely agree. And those skill sets, it's interesting that you're talking about them because that like, you know, it's kind of the thesis of this podcast is like having these multiple passions or multiple interests is how you end up like expressing yourself. Because obviously it sounds like you're passionate about both, like the songwriting and the production. Yeah. I mean, I... I'm, look, I'm passionate about a lot of things, if I'm being <laughs> honest, you know, like they're, they're the, and, and by the way, like I started out as an actress, I had a oh. television show, like I've done, I've had so many careers, it's hilarious. Wait, wait a minute, bury the lead, you were an actress, I you know, did a restoration, I'm like, what? Yeah, no, so I, I just think that creative people are multifaceted most of the time. 
um, and enjoy expressing themselves, however that comes out. And I think this is why we have a lot of musicians who are really incredible actors. Um, you know, I look at somebody like Lady Gaga, uh, who I just worked with, by the way, (laughs) you know, she's a perfect example of somebody who's a brilliant musician and who's also, I mean, she blows me away when she acts and it's because she is a consummate performer. She's, you know, we have access to this emotive thing, I think, as creators, and um, that can translate into just different mediums. Um, it's it's uh, it's weird to me that we're expected to do only one thing, but that's somehow even a part of the equation or the conversation, I should say. I've always thought that was very strange as well, you know, and so I started the podcast. So I'd have an excuse to talk to lots of people <laughs> who do I, I love multiple things. <laughs> awesome. So awesome. Cause I think that I think in some ways, like even, even within the narrative of, Oh, I'm really passionate about one thing, like the music, obviously when you said like, that is what you do. It's informed by the fact that you're passionate about multiple facets of it and that you have other modes of expression as well. And I yeah. think that that's what gets kind of underplayed when we try to understand people. If we're like, oh, what are the dimensions on which I understand you? And you're like, oh, all of them. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's, I also know so many people who, um, and this is just expanding on any creative field. I just think creatives are multifaceted people with their creativity. I have dear friends who are exceptional composers who are also unreal visual artist you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. definitely not one of my skills but, <laughs> but, I know, but I know people who are and I have deep respect for that I think that's just so cool to be able to express yourself in multiple ways like that it's amazing yes yes one of uh one of my friends is a wonderful musician and producer and she also has done so much of actually my photography and even filmed a video underwater for me that was crazy awesome yeah Yeah. And that to me, I love working with her because she has such like a precise vision that like, she'll literally move you around while she's photographing you, which I love because I'm like, Hey, you're the one seeing me. I'm living in my body. So I don't know what it looks like. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Position me as you will. Um, I love it. But it's so cool hearing, like hearing her music and seeing her photographs. Um, her name is Zoe Ruth Irwin. She, she lives in Reykjavik now. Um, she's from LA though. And it's fun. hearing her. You know Zoe? Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, oh my God. acquaintances, but I, yeah, I, of course, I know her. Yeah, oh, awesome. She's so funny. Talented. Oh Very my gifted. God! Yes, yes, and so she's so much fun to work with because, like, I feel like there's a consistency across, um, across her photography and across her music, and she's focused on music since she moved really, um, and has her own studio space now, which is awesome. When I was there, I got to visit. Awesome. Um, I'm clearly in favor of candles in studios. <laughs> but I like that like you know she didn't strive to be like oh I'm only one thing or the other like she was just like man this is who I am I do both these things I love it yeah there just can't be any apology for it you just have to kind of do the thing I'm I'm not in the business of convincing people one way or the other you know what I mean the work speaks for itself in my opinion I think that that is like a fantastic note because I was gonna say like what's your advice to people but I was like that's pretty solid. The work speaks for itself. <laughs> like, yeah, my advice my advice to people is uh, it's never easy, and you 
you know, you have to keep doing what you do because you love it. There's just literally no reward that's ever going to be better than that. Right. I definitely, definitely think that. Um, yeah. Do it because you love it. We wish I had more to add, but I think that that's, that's kind of the advice I give to myself. It's like the moment that it's not joyful is the moment that I stop doing it. Right. Right. And that doesn't mean that it's not really fucking hard all the time, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's a difference between, like, seeking seeking moments of joy and seeking contentedness in what you do versus thinking you're going to, like, always be happy or it's always going to be easy. Like, I don't think that's what you're talking about, but it seems like, is it fulfilling? Do you feel like you're in love with it? Um, yeah. You're not, like, yeah. you question that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and the work ethic is just so important regardless. Like, I think yes. that uh, we just don't talk about it enough. Like it, it really, I, I can't even tell you how many moments I've had over the last couple of years where I look up and I'm like, Oh my God, I just got better at this. And it is the best feeling in the world to feel yes. like I'm evolving. Isn't and that, that doesn't come. Yeah. It's really incredible. And it really comes from just being really, really, really dedicated. Um, and I think that there's, I really admire people who are dedicated to what they do, who are deeply dedicated to what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's a very underrated quality. Um, cause being an artist is, is really, really hard. And I have deep, deep respect for people that decide to be artists in their lifetime. I really liked it. It was actually of all things from like a YouTube yoga video um <laughs> like like things are about to get deep um but it was it was specifically for like a yoga arm workout and it is a pretty it's like an intense 10 minute video like by the end you're like are do I have arms anymore are they making um but I like at the end of it she says like you know if any of this is challenging for you keep doing it and I was just like heck yeah like, yep. and she says it in a calm way, not like a, one, like a yelling at you workout way. Yeah, but, of course. You know, it's true because it's like when you're doing it in the moment, you're like, oh my God, can I get through this? And sure enough, you know, you make it through the workout and you get stronger and stronger and stronger, but it's so incremental that it's not like you're going to notice it in the 10 minutes. So all of a sudden you're like, cool. I'm like yoga Hulk. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. It's There's been, no immediate reward. There no, really is no immediate no. reward. But then when you've done something, I mean, I honestly don't think there's a better feeling that I've had in my life than doing something that I'm incredibly proud of. Like like just whether it's writing a song or coming up with a melody or whatever, like those moments of like real flow state where you're connecting um, to yourself and to your work and it, and it pays off. Like, my God, it's like the best feeling in the world. And like, that's the feeling to kind of not chase, but welcome in. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and know that it's not always going to be there. And as you get better at doing what you're doing, um, maybe those intense emotional moments of release aren't always there, but you can stand behind your work. I mean, that's like one of the joys of being dedicated is that you do just see yourself get better and better. Um, that, that, and that's just a personal thing. I just feel feel very proud of that and very excited by that when I feel it happening when I feel that growth happening that's amazing I'm like I can't wait to hear more of your music now <laughs> like, oh. like, keep doing it keep doing it well thank you so much for joining us on why not both it's been amazing getting to talk to you 
Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who has been absolutely amazing. Thank you again, and I look forward to next week's episode. 